What is the Podcast of Matrix? The Podcast of Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. It's a shame that the horror genre gets overlooked when it comes to receiving praise. Sure, now and then a film will come along and get attention, but because it's more of a art piece than freak show, the actual horror aspects are ignored and replaced with the word thriller or suspense. Bottom line is, horror movies do not get the respect they deserve. That's why we have taken on the responsibility of shining a dark light on the best of the best regarding the horror films of 2019. It's time for the second annual Two Guys Talking Horror Spookies. And the nominees are... Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to another edition of Two Guys Talking Horror. I'm your host, Nicholas J. Hearn. I'm your co-host, Jason Contini. And we have a very special episode for you. This is the nomination episode for the Spooky Awards. That's right. Now, this is our second year doing the Spookies. Yes, even if the scheduling is a little different and we're a little bit over a year after the last time, it's still once last year and once this year. Right, right, that's true. We we had this all planned out. We laid the groundwork in February. We mm-hmm. were going to, to start doing this early March, and then your schedule got hectic. Then we were going to do it in mid-March. My schedule got hectic because, you know, I was in the process of buying a house. Right. And then we were going to do it at the end of March, and the world went topsy-turvy. Yeah, the world ended uh, as we do <laughs> it. So that certainly was uh, something that came in the way of us finishing this and putting it together. But right. as a result... Hopefully, it has given everyone something to enjoy while quarantining themselves. Right, right. Because there's a lot. There were a lot of movies, a lot of great horror films that came out in 2019, mm-hmm. and only a handful of those got any kind of mainstream attention, uh, either because of the actors in them or the directors behind the films. Right. And we'll we'll talk about a little bit of that as we go on. But right now, I'd like to point everybody to our social media sites, because that's where all of the information regarding 
our second annual Spookies, is located. We have this great nomination video where we actually walk you through everybody nominated and give you the 411 on how to vote. And then we spread that out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so that everybody who follows Two Guys Talking Horror would have the opportunity to be able to not only cast their vote, but then maybe actually look at the list and go and hunt those movies down. Maybe you didn't get to see some of these in 2019. Yeah, and I would also like to add on there, too, that the video that, that you're talking about, Nick, it, it is also on the Archlight Entertainment YouTube page. So for those of you who either are just joining our show for the first time with this episode or who maybe for whatever reason didn't already know this, Nick and I are, in, in addition to being podcasters, we are also filmmakers as yes. well. We have been running Archlight Entertainment in in one form or another for roughly 20 years at this point <laughs> <laughs> and so you know any of the videos that we that we will shoot for this show in particular obviously since we know the guys at archlight entertainment <laughs> um, uh, we we use their stuff and so therefore you know these same videos can be seen on our our youtube channel one of the things that, uh, Nick, I don't even know if I've fully told you, although I'm, I'm sure that you probably have a pretty good idea that this is happening. One of the things that will be on that YouTube channel is a special video that I have been putting together just for the second annual Spookies. Oh. This is a, a video that will be ready at the same time as the award announcement video goes out and this video is a highlight clip reel featuring all of the two guys talking horror alternate best picture horror choices going all the way back to 1927 because that's when the oscars started and that's kind of how this whole spookies thing kicked up in the first place was right. our you know opportunity to do an alternate take on oscar you know basically like the horror oscars without actually having a full-on ceremony and giving out awards because we can't afford that right. but, <laughs> but you know one of the things that they always did is they always put together those clip reels you know at least in in years past they did so yes yeah, so there will be i'm i'm a little over halfway done with the video and it will be ready at the same time as our awards announcement video goes live. And that also can be found in addition to our social media platforms on our Archlight Entertainment YouTube page. And without further ado, since we've spent enough time pimping our other wares, <laughs> let's get straight to our choices for who we think should win during this, the second annual Two Guys Talking Spooky's Domination Episode. <laughs> Best Visual Production. Before we get into this, Nick, I think you and I kind of want to explain in some of these categories how we view the category itself. Right. Primarily, for instance, with this one, Best Visual Production. One of the things that we did not include in the spookies is a breakdown of cinematography and editing and art direction and all of the the, the various, technical stuff the technical stuff that is unrelated to visual effects right 
so all of the all of the basic tech stuff that goes into a production visual production so set dressing art direction concept design cinematography editing anything in that vein so that that is kind of where where we're at as far as looking at visual production now the nominees for this year are Annabelle Comes Home, The Headhunter, Midsommar, Hagazusa, A Heathen's Curse, and Bliss. Personally, it would be a toss-up for me between Midsommar and Headhunter. I can safely say Midsommar is a beautiful film. It is a gorgeously shot film. Uh, for me, though, if I had to narrow it down to two, my personal choices would be The Headhunter or Bliss. Bliss, interesting. Bliss is one of those films that uh, kind of came out of left field. It was on a lot of people's lists, and a lot of people were talking about it when it came out last year. I have to admit, it was one of the last films I ended up seeing before we compiled the list of possible nominations for uh, for the Spookies. And I gotta say, visually speaking, it does something to the viewer. To the point to where they actually have a warning at the beginning of the film. There, there is some of the lighting effects that they do could be seizure inducing. So I'm like, oh wow. Now see, to me, I uh, that was one of the things, and you know, we'll get into this more as we go along in the episode, I'm sure. But that was one of the many things about Bliss that I did not like huh. at all. I found the visuals to be, for me, very rudimentary, very obnoxious, and distracting from the overall film. Whereas something like Headhunter, which, as much as I thought Midsommar was gorgeous, I, the, the visuals in Headhunter yeah. were outstanding. And for a film that had a budget of roughly $30,000, $30,000, that's all that movie had. Yeah. We lump in art direction and props in with visual, best visual production. Um, I was reading that the headhunter, for all of the props and and set dressing for that film, the year before they started shooting, they went to a spirit Halloween store on November first, and practically bought the store out, and then altered the Halloween costumes and pieces to make all of their set dressing and props. Wow. The fact that the whole film was done for thirty thousand and it is gripping from I, Headhunter for me was like I guess bliss for you. It was this little film I had no expectations about and really thought, oh God, what what am I getting into? And it just blew me away. I just I absolutely loved it. Best audio production. Now, just like visual production. We've lumped sound effects and the Foley work, the uh, ADR, uh, anything that helped make the movie just a little bit creepier where sound was concerned. And the nominations are Annabelle Comes Home, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, The Perfection, and Bliss. Now for me... I'm a fan of every single movie that is in this category, but for me, I think I would have to, it's a toss-up between Annabelle Comes Home and Godzilla King of the Monsters. You know, uh, Nick, I think you and I are going to have to agree on this one. 
oh, no, no, we, we have to agree. <laughs> We're going to have to agree on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, the, the sound and the, the audio in both of those films are so incredibly important to the movie, each of them respectively, that, I, you know, it's hard to pick between those two. Best makeup and visual effects. So now what we lump into this category for this is obviously just what it says, makeup and visual effects. Right. That includes everything from digital effects to practical onset effects, makeup, prosthetics, even just general, regular, quote unquote, beauty makeup is lumped into this as well. The other thing that gets lumped into all of this is uh, hair. You know, which is something that, that oftentimes people don't really think about. It does kind of get lumped into makeup because it, it is kind of important. You know, you do have to, as you and I know, we do have to be very aware that someone's hair is not wisping in front of their eyes when you're really trying to see their eyes. That's something that a, you know, hair and makeup person has to take into account while they're right, on set right. doing last looks. So the nominees that we have for this category are Annabelle Comes Home, It Chapter 2, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and Bliss. One of the last films that I saw, it wasn't the last, but one of the last that I saw was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I recently bought it and uh, watched it, and I, I enjoyed the film for what it was. I'm a big, 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 big fan of the books. Right. And I thought, you know, well, this was a decent little monster film. I really had a good time with it. When I watched the special features, though, I was blown away at the amount of prosthetics and practical effects in that film. It, it was astounding to me how much of it was actually on set and augmented with CGI. I mean, the, the pale woman, the jangly man, all of the monsters in it, the suits were built. Yeah. And actually on set, and they were exact spot-on designs from the books. I mean, like ripped off of the page from the books. So makeup and visual effects, I've got to go with scary stories. And that's that's understandable. Um, actually, out of every nominee in this category, all but uh, the last one, Bliss, are... We're, we're pretty well-funded yes. horror films. So they yes. had the money to make both their practical and their visual effects work. They, they had the, mo the money to throw at it to make it work. I think for me, I'm going to have to give it to the little guy, the underdog. Because Bliss, I'm not going to say it was a low-budget horror film, but it didn't have the same budget as the rest of these films that are in this category. I'm going to throw my hat in for Bliss on this one. To be completely fair, obviously I wasn't a fan of the film itself, but that doesn't mean I can't objectively sit back and look at it. The effects in Bliss, again, like you said, for a film that did not have the budget to throw at it, the effects in Bliss are very effective, and, and the makeup is good. At times it's a little distracting, and, and in some cases not anything that we haven't seen before. But yeah. Because it was on such a low budget and pulled off without being ridiculous and low-budget cheesy, you know, even though I didn't care for the film itself. Yeah, I agree. The, the effects in it were, were pretty caliber. 
Best Horror Movie Score. Now, a lot of people will wonder, well, what's the difference between a movie score and the audio production? Because it doesn't it fall mm-hmm. into the same category? No, not, not necessarily. The score for a film is something completely separate from the rest of the audio work that goes into putting a movie together. The score is usually one of the last things added to a finished film. Yeah. And I I would also say, too, a lot of times people don't understand the difference between a soundtrack and a score. Ah, yes. You know, and there is a great difference. I mean, a soundtrack is is usually pop music, whether that be rock or pop or standards or whatever the case may be, you know, rap, whatever it is. Uh, Whereas a score is instrumental, typically. Right, right. And the thing is, is that sometimes films don't have a score. They have a soundtrack. Yes, and vice true. versa, and the and the soundtrack is is in some cases in some films is used as the score. Yeah, I know it isn't really a horror film, but you and I are both geeks, so you'll understand. You know the old Transformers animated film, the original Transformers movie. Right. Um, you know has very little score. Most of that movie is quote unquote scored with a soundtrack. Right. And in a case like that, I think for what we talk about here, we kind of consider that a score when a, when a soundtrack is used that much. Mm-hmm. Our nominees for this category are Ready or Not, It Chapter 2, Hagazusa A Heathen's Curse, Midsommar, and Bliss. For me, I've rounded it down to two, and I, and I can't decide which one. This might be the second time... Second and only time I might give any kind of real praise to Midsommar, the score worked for this movie. Mm -hmm. The score, in a horror movie, the score can make or break you. Absolutely. Even though I didn't really care that much for Midsommar, the score was probably the only thing that made me feel uncomfortable. And if you can do that to me, then, you know, you, you definitely got at least the idea of a vote. The other one, though, is Bliss, because Bliss uses a combination of music and then actual scored music. You know, you've got the punk rock, uh, hardcore, in-your-face soundtrack aspects, but then you have some just instrumental, still still in the, in the uh, splatter punk vein, but still just instrumentals moving your scenes along. And I like the combination of the two. See, I, I would agree with you on Midsommar. I thought the, the score on Midsommar was absolutely fantastic. And I, I have a feeling I maybe liked Midsommar a little more than you did, but I still was not as blown away by it as everyone else was. I still don't know why the film gets the praise that it gets Yeah. overall. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It's fine. I don't know if I ever need to rewatch it again. I, I it, was a, it was a decent film. But I, I agree with you that the score is one of the best things in that film. The, for me, the score and the soundtrack for Bliss, I found not only to be incredibly distracting and kind of obnoxious, but also very, very cliched. It just really grated on my nerves. I had a really tough time with that film. I really just did not did not care for it. 
I would have to say for me, it's it's kind of up between Midsommar and It Chapter 2. Even though It Chapter 2 uses a lot of the themes and sounds from the first film, I think it really works for that movie. I think it really complements the film well. <laughs> Best Horror Movie Screenplay. Well, Nick, I don't think we need to really explain this one, so I'm just going to get right to the nominations. <laughs> <laughs> Lee Cronin and Steven Shields for The Hole in the Ground. Scott Beck and Brian Woods for Haunt. Jordan Peele for Us. Abe Forsyth for Little Monsters. And Joe Bagos for Bliss. I I have to admit that this is the one category that I really have not seen everything in. And so, you know, I have to base my opinion off of just the three films I have seen. I unfortunately have not gotten around to seeing The Hole in the Ground yet or Haunt. Both of which I want to see. I really want to see Haunt. So out of the other three, I, you know, obviously I didn't care for Bliss. Us, I found to be um, eh, okay, but I feel like the script falls apart in the third act, in my opinion. So I got to go with Little Monsters. I mean, what a what a fun little, very different kind of movie, and not not at all what I was expecting, and yet exactly as I was expecting, and I. I had an absolute blast of a time with it. And a lot of that is, I think, the script and the way the film is structured. I, I, I totally agree with you where Little Monsters is concerned. Abe Forsythe did write a fun little movie. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, being the zombie movie lover that I am, but the only thing that Little Monsters gave me was a chance to see Josh Gad as a completely Mm. different character than he's been portrayed in other films. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, there there is nothing original in any way about Little Monsters. I haven't seen the other two, so just out of those three, I didn't care for Bliss and Us. Like I said, I feel, and I think you and I have had this discussion outside of the show, we both kind of feel that Us falls apart towards the end. So out of those three, I have to go with Little Monsters. However, I hear, especially from you, sir, I hear that Haunt is uh, fantastic. Yes, we have had the conversation about Us uh, from Jordan Peele. Us would have been a much more solid movie if he would have just stuck with one of the several concepts that end up in the third act. Yeah. The only two that I felt gave us something different from the genres that they represent are Scott Beck and Brian Wood's Haunt. Because, yeah, we've all seen movies about people going to an extreme haunted house. This one's just a little bit different. And it's also the underdog because it was a very low-budget film. I'm really looking forward to yeah, watching that. You can, and you can tell that it's a very low-budget film, but the quality of the work is what sells the, sells the film. And the same thing I would go with uh, Joe Bagos for Bliss is because he took a concept that's been done to death, vampires, and he made it different. He made it his own. Mm -hmm. And I can appreciate when somebody says, let's take this and instead of having them be sparkly and angsty, (laughs) let's give them real issues. And Mm -hmm. where Bliss is concerned, the obsession to be the best the crushing notion that you were probably not the best, and then the addiction of 
whatever substance you can get your hands on to make you feel like the best. And then you wrap that up into the vampire scenario. I, it, it, for me, it's between Haunt and Bliss. Yeah, well, I, I definitely am looking forward to watching Haunt, um, and I do want to try to track down the hole in the ground, too, and see that. All of those themes and things that were in Bliss, they were all very good. I think, for me, the whole film just felt like a, like an exercise in excess and, um, and cliches. And, and part of that, too, might be, and, and I don't know, um, but part of that, too, might be, as you know, I, I'm not a huge vampire fan, ironically, having been in a vampire film. Um, so I'm not, a, I'm not a big vampire fan to begin with, which, you know, maybe on some subconscious level affected my enjoyment of the film. I don't know. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it in your next film therapy session, Jason. <laughs> okay. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> Best movie monster. Again, this really needs no explanation. It, nope. You know, nominees are everything in Annabelle Comes Home, <laughs> because there's a lot, and they're yep. all terrifying at, in different degrees. Yep. King Ghidorah in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Pennywise in It of Chapter course. 2, of course. Well, of course. The Jangly Man mm-hmm. in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And an original monster, by the way, not, yes. not from the books. Right, right. Although compiled of, I think, three or four different characters from the books. And then finally, we have the cultists in right. Midsummer. I'm going to give my nomination, hmm. but I have a story about the cultists in Midsummer that I'd like to share with both you and our listeners. So okay. first, I want to get our nominations out of the way. I am a hardcore Godzilla fan. My vote goes straight to King Ghidorah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is a tough one. For me, it's a four-way toss-up, to be honest with you. I-, I love the fact that the Jangly Man was a compilation of various different characters from the books, and it gave us something original in a movie that is very loosely based on a book series. Uh, right. And I thought it was a crazy cool character, especially, too, when I learned that the the creature performer was the same guy that plays Ragdoll on The Flash, on the CW. Yeah. Um, he's a contortionist and, um, and you know, at, at the same time, built and structured like Doug Jones, you know. And he, he's just really creepy and amazing. Pennywise, I mean, how, you know, how much scarier do you get than Skarsgård's Pennywise? I mean, it's right there with Curry's Pennywise. And yeah, like you, I'm a massive Godzilla fan, and and King Ghidorah, you know, he was he was awesome in the truest definition of that term. <laughs> in that film, he was spectacular. And Annabelle comes home, maybe one of the scariest movies in the Conjuring universe, and perhaps the scariest of the of the Annabelle series, and mostly to do with the fact that. Everything in the damn kitchen sink was in that film. Right, right. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if I can give an answer because between the four of them, it's that's like Sophie's choice for me. <laughs> I'm sure you'll figure it out once it comes time to vote. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I look forward to finding out if your pick wins or not. Well, let me get to what's this. Your, yeah, what's your story? My midsummer story. So I have to admit that when I came up with the uh, phrasing for the, the the folks that are in Midsommar in this this hidden away 
community. For me, I felt the term cultist was the closest thing that you could probably come to what these folks are doing. So when I posted each individual nomination for each of these categories on social media, I got a very interesting reply Hmm. to the cultists of Midsummer on Twitter. Now, I'm not going to share the name of uh, our our Twitter follower who I had this conversation with, but I do want to share the contents of the conversation. The response is, it's not a cult, it's a society that's different than ours. And when I received that, I was like, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it, but I think it's also a little bit too simplistic. So I responded, A society that lures young folks to their hidden community, keeps their true motives from them, and straight up murders them to satisfy an ancient ritual. Cultist may not be the best term for them, but Amish-like, nature-loving, ritualistic killers doesn't really roll off the tongue. (laughs) No, but you and I ought to write a movie now with those kinds of creatures in it. Because now, now I want a, a movie that focuses on what did you say? What was it called? <laughs> Amish-like, nature-loving, ritualistic killers. <laughs> That's the name of the movie, right there. That's it. We're going into development this year. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> so, very similar to Chud, it would be called Amnalalik. Amnalalik. Yeah, it's a horrible acronym. And of course, there towards the end, I, I was being, I was being cheeky. Because here we are, we're having a conversation about a made-up movie. It, it, it's not real. Well, not entirely, right. No, not entirely. I mean, I, I know that there are aspects of that that commune that they certainly took for the film. I'm not entirely certain what aspects were used, but I, I do know that they there there was some sort of a practice in that area where a lot of those things were the practices of those people. And then they just kind of, Ari Aster just kind of embellished them and took them to extremes. So it's not exactly real, but, but sort of. Had it been anywhere close to being real, real, there would have been a disclaimer based on actual events. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So I get a response. Remember, the ancient ritual is only once every 90 years, and people in the society volunteer to die as well. I can name a bunch of real episodes pretty close to the same in the name of religion and tradition. Okay, and I agree. I can name a bunch too, none of them taking place in modern day, but okay, I'll keep, the, I'll keep the, uh, this healthy debate going. So my response is, ritual murder is still ritual murder, no matter how much time passes between. Also, I have no doubt that similar practices exist around the world throughout history. But in modern time? To reiterate, I agree that cultists is mislabeling. How about religious zealots? So here I am, I'm trying to find a happy medium. Not only do I admit, yeah, maybe cultists doesn't really work. And I come up with a solution that uh, maybe is a nice middle ground. To where I get this response, this is where things start going a little sideways, where the debate is concerned. The reply is, nah, I still think that's an American prejudice trying to paint us as normal and them as weird. 
Many of their societal norms are superior to ours. It's just breeding biology that makes it complicated. Um, what? <laughs> okay. I mean, so, I get that. I get what she's saying. I get what, what? she's. I get what she's saying. But then it also sounds. It, it almost sounds like she's defending uh, uh, this yeah. culture. Yeah. That murders people. It's it's almost like she's not arguing whether or not the label of cultists is correct, but arguing whether or not they are the monsters of the film, which I, I can see the debate being whether or not they are the true monsters of the film, because on some level you could claim that the true monsters of the film are societal expectations, but that does not mean that what they do is not monstrous, you know? I mean, yes, King Ghidra is the monster of the film, but that doesn't make Rodan any less monstrous. Just because King Ghidra is the one running the whole thing, I, I don't know, I, I think that's kind of a, a failed argument. I should have just let it go at that point in time, but I thought that, you know, again, this is show, social media, and we're we're not calling each other stupid for our beliefs. No, yeah, and and a healthy debate. We're not debate using and, horrible language. We're having no, a healthy I, debate here. Yeah, and and you know, differing opinions on that. I mean, that's that's good, you know, because you know, depending on what the differing opinion is, it could it could in some cases open one's eyes and display something in a in a light that that person maybe otherwise wouldn't have thought it. So it, it's a good debate to have. Exactly, exactly. So my response to that was a two-parter. In, in regards of the American prejudice, I reply, if it's American prejudice to be against the murder of innocent college students duped into visiting a community that exists outside the rest of the world's social norms just so they can fulfill a religious ceremony, I'll happily stand by that prejudice. Hmm. She then replies to my one comment about uh, these horrible things happening in modern day, to which she says, we do plenty of barbaric things in terms of our prisons, current immigration system, capital punishment, wealth disparity, etc. Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. I'm like that but your point? Yeah, well. So I go, as for prisons, immigration system and capital punishments, those are not connected to the religious practices of our modern society. I don't see how they compare to the people in Midsummer. We'll have to agree to disagree regarding the fictional community of murderers. LOL. Oh, sure. Keep it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I'm still trying to keep it friendly. Mm -hmm. When I get the, uh, the, the final response, I realize, well, this is, this is no longer just a healthy debate. This has now become two people who are trying to prove that they're right. Now, of course, that's that's not my intent. I, I have no idea. I have no grounds to stand on. On I'm right to call them cultists. Again, mm -hmm. remember, I'm trying to come up with a middle ground. Sure. So sure. Her, her final response is, "I'm just saying, look in a mirror before you paint another society as just being a cult." The only innocent, this is when I realize that that the conversation probably just needs to stop. The only innocent people to die in Midsommar were the British couple, and they likely had to die because they would say what you're saying and cause the extinction of their society. Whoa, that's a little sociopathic. I, I mean, I'm 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 painting a broad stroke, and, and it, well, a very broad I, stroke. 
not trying to claim that she's sociopathic, but it is a very sociopathic statement. For as narrow-minded of a view she's painting me to have, I find, at the same time, she has a very narrow mind. Because, again, this is all made up. This is not based on a actual true story. There are not a, a group of people hidden in the woods, halfway around the world, luring people into their community and killing them. I would hope not. So, so really, it's a moot point because it's, it's a movie. It's a damn movie. And it turned into more of a debate about the practices of a society and culture that's not like ours. And that's not what it is at all. So, because I knew that there was no more debate going on here, she was pretty much set on, you're wrong, and no matter what you say, you're always going to be wrong. So, so I didn't plan on arguing anymore. But because I was a little annoyed at the fact, I did write some responses. Now, of course, mm. these responses were never shared with her. And I will probably send them in a DM just to, I don't know, cleanse myself. Or maybe I'll feel better after I read it here with, with our listeners. And maybe they'll understand where I'm coming from. So, so here are the three responses. Because, damn it, I am not 140 characters. <laughs> Anybody who's listened to this podcast long enough knows I am not 140 characters. So it is kind of hard to shrink all of my comments, all of my retorts into 140 characters. Here are three responses that are around 140 characters each. I've stated and agreed with you that cultists was not an accurate term to describe them. But I can't call them misunderstood nature lovers either. They're not cut off from the world. They have modern conveniences. A motor vehicle, cell phones, a copy of Austin Powers, which means they have a television and a VCR or DVD player. They are not just a society with different ways than our own, which was the original comment that she made on the post, which started all of this. Take away the murdering innocent outsiders, and yes, they become a community practicing ways we may not understand. But that's not what this debate has been about, at least from my end. And then, of course, I have to reply to the fact that she believed everybody in the movie deserved to die except for the British couple. The Americans weren't innocent? How do you figure that? Mark deserved to die because he urinated on their ancestors? Unknowingly. Unknowingly, yeah. Maybe he was a douchebag, maybe he was a shithead, but still. Right, right, right. Josh deserved to die because he took pictures of their sacred text. Christian deserved to die because he cheated on his girlfriend. And to wrap all of this up, to put a nice little bow on it, the funny thing about it is, I didn't care that any of these people were killed. Because none of them were likable characters. Right. So it doesn't matter that they died, to me. Because, again, it's a movie. But the moral high ground that I feel I still have is murder is bad. Mm -hmm. There are cases to be argued of the level of murder, but that's why we have the law. Mm -hmm. But this is premeditated murder. 
Members from this society were sent out into the world to find people to bring back specifically for this to yeah. Yes. I mean it was like a recruitment drive. Right. So even though I don't care about any of the people that were killed in this film, I'm still going to advocate that they didn't deserve to die just because they might have been assholes. Now that's just my opinion, and I've read both sides of the argument. I, I want to reach out to our listeners. I'd like to know your thoughts on what I've just detailed in length to you. What are your thoughts on the society that likes to murder innocent college kids in Midsummer? Tell me what you thought. I don't care what your thoughts are on the movie. Tell me about the practices. Tell me what you feel about the culture of these folks. Head on over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com or visit us at our many social media platforms Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and if you go to Twitter, remember it's only 140 characters <laughs> I don't know about you Jason but I could use a break Yes. so we're going to pause for the cause and we will return with more Two Guys Talking Horror second annual spooky nomination episode. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Two Guys Talking Horrors' second annual Spooky Awards nomination episode. 
Now we've gone through the majority of the categories. We only have a couple of left, and I feel these are the ones that are the most prominent when it comes to voters of, of any type of entertainment ceremony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Best Horror Movie Actor. So the nominees this year are Walton Goggins for Them That Follow, Bill Skarsgård for It Chapter 2, Josh Gad for Little Monsters, Winston Duke for Us, and Steven Weber for The Perfection. Now, I have not seen Them That Follow or The Perfection yet. I I like both of those actors, so I'm very interested in seeing both films. So out of the three that I've seen, as much as I love Josh Gad in Little Monsters, and he is fantastic in it, and as much as I love Winston Duke in general, and think that that guy has a hell of a career ahead of him, uh-huh. I gotta go with Skarsgård on this, man. I mean, that Pennywise performance, to, to do a Pennywise performance that is that riveting and dedicated and scary in its own right, and yet not steal anything from tim curry's pennywise to me it's no different than heath ledger's joker versus jack nicholson's joker so right. i gotta go right. i have to agree with you Skarsgård redefined the character uh, very similar to how heath ledger redefined the joker for a generation i enjoy every single person in this category I think they they are phenomenal actors, and in these films, they deserve the nominations here. But I think I'm going to also have to go with uh, either Bill Skarsgård, who's brilliant in this role, but I could also give it to Steven Weber for The Perfection, because you don't see Steven Weber playing the heavy very often. Mm -hmm. He is Mm -hmm. mostly known for his comedic roles. Sure, absolutely. A a lot of people don't realize that he is a phenomenal actor that can do anything. And this is one of those roles that shows that he can do anything. Very much looking forward to watching that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a toss-up right now. I can't decide either Steven Weber or Bill Skarsgård. Best Horror Movie Actress. Now, the nominees for this category are Samara Weaving for Ready or Not, Lupita Nyago for Us, Logan Browning for The Perfection, Florence Pugh for Midsommar, and Dora Madison for Bliss. All of these actresses give compelling performances for the, for the material that they're given. I gotta give this one to Lupita, because wow. Playing dual roles in a film and making those characters so separate from each other. I'm a little upset that she was ignored during the regular award season because she gave one hell of a performance. When it comes down to, you know, our personal choice for who we think it it really should go to, I, I, I'm 100% agreeing with you. I, I Lupita, all the way. <laughs> I've never seen Lupita do anything bad. I think all she does is get better. Right. And, you know, the first thing I ever saw her in was 12 Years a Slave. I I had never heard of her before that. She seemed like she came out of nowhere, and then she won the damn Oscar for it. You know, this girl that comes out of nowhere wins the Oscar 
and yet just gets better every time you see her. Yeah. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's Lupita. And and Dora Madison, too, even though I really disliked the movie Bliss, I thought Dora Madison really was giving 120% in that film. Yeah. And a lot of really vulnerable moments Mm -hmm. for an actress in there, despite the fact that I didn't care for the movie. But I I still got to agree, it's Lupita all the way. (laughs) Best Horror Movie Director. Our nominees are Jordan Downey for The Headhunter, Jordan Peele for Us, Shinichiro Ueda for One Cut of the Dead, Ari Aster for Midsommar, Joe Begos for Bliss. You know, Nick, I, I would love to say Jordan Peele because I, I think he's he's an incredible artist. Mm-hmm. I really am quite a fan of him. And I would love to say Jordan Downey because I just was floored with The Headhunter. I really freaking loved that movie yeah. a lot. But for me, I got to go with Shinichiro Ueda. I thought One Cut of the Dead was quite possibly one of the most enjoyable films I've seen in a very, very long time. Headhunter was great. So yes, I I would like to give Jordan Downey at least a shout out. Jordan Peele, even though his film falls apart in the third act, the fact that he put together a film that he essentially had to shoot twice. Yeah, basically. That right there, that, that is a Herculean feat. So props to him as well. But damn it. Shinichiro Ueda for One Cut of the Dead. This was a film that I didn't want to watch. Same here. Because I don't like reading subtitles because I feel like it takes away my attention to the actual film. Because if I'm paying attention to the bottom of the screen to read what's going on, I'm not watching the screen to see what's going on. I didn't have that problem with this film. And and I'm not saying that I hate all foreign films because I don't like to read. It's just... It has to be a very special film. Now, since it was nominated, well, hell yeah, I had to I had to watch it. I cannot tell you how pleasantly surprised I was at the film. We've talked about how we can't understand all of the hype that Midsummer got. I can understand all of the hype one cut of the dead got. I what I cannot understand is why it didn't get more. Yeah. And part of it, I, I have to admit, you know, I, I love foreign language films. I, I, and as I get older, I find that I'm becoming more and more obsessed with them and find different film styles from different areas to be very fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. I, I too did not want to watch this because the poster, while perfect, once you've seen the film, right. is, not, is not very inviting if you don't know anything about it. So I, I have to, you know, detract the film a little bit on a marketing but at the same time, how else do you market it once you've seen it? And I have to admit that even though I kind of knew the gimmick and I knew the deal, I was almost ready to turn it off at about 25 minutes into it. The first act of the one take shot of the of the low budget zombie film, mm-hmm. I know it was intentional and I knew it was intentional to look and be as cheesy as it was. And yet... I still almost turned it off because it was just like, okay, come on, this is ridiculous. But when you stick it out and when you stay with the film, suddenly you realize 
that it has to be that way. It has to be shown that way, and you have to watch it that way. And when you do, what a freaking joy of a movie. What a, what a blast it yeah. was. Yeah. And I, I, man, I'm so, so happy that I, <laughs> and again, had it not been nominated, I might have turned it off. I, you know, which is sad, and and I feel bad for for admitting that and saying it, but I, I might have turned it off, and I boy, I'm glad I didn't because it's one of my favorite films of the year. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't feel like turning it off, but that first twenty minutes is like, okay, well, this is this is nothing new. This is yeah. I've seen this before, hundreds of times. Right, exactly. But then it it heightens it when you watch the rest of the film, yep. almost to the point. To where I would go back and rewatch the film, just so oh. that I could take the stuff from the end of the film and remember it as the front half is going on. It's seamless. It is. It is very seamless. And the the very interesting thing for anyone out there who has not seen the film yet, when you watch it, do not turn it off when the credits start. Right. Right. And I'm not talking about the credits in the first 30 minutes, because obviously you get a 30 minute film and then you get the credits to that film and then you get the real movie. I'm not talking about those credits. I'm talking about the final credits of the film. Yeah. Because even though the story is there and in the third act, you see how they made this film, even the filmmakers in that film are actors. And during the credits, you see the real filmmakers behind those scenes. Yeah. And it, it's a film within a film within a film within a film. It's, it, <laughs> don't don't turn it off. Watch the credits because you get this really nice glimpse into how the thing is actually shot. Best horror movie. So the nominees for best horror movie are Us, Bliss, Midsummer, Ready or Not. Annabelle Comes Home, and One Cut of the Dead. You know, Jason, after our previous conversation about uh, who we would pick for uh, Best Director, I was on the fence between two separate films, but now my my enthusiasm has just overswelled again, and I'm just going to say it. One Cut of the Dead. You know, uh, I was just sitting here thinking that I was I was on the fence between One Cut of the Dead and Annabelle Comes Home. And after you and I just talked about how great One Cut of the Dead is, I, I think that put... And I loved Annabelle Comes Home. I thought it was a same, great film. Same here, same here. Uh, yeah, I think I gotta go with One Cut of the Dead. I mean, what a great movie. And the funny thing about it is, is that it's the only film out of all of these nominations that isn't necessarily a horror movie. Not really. No, it's more of a it's more of a comedy with aspects of a familial unit. Yeah, but but again, it's got zombies in it, so it gets to be thrown into that horror category. Nothing against any of the other nominees. I've enjoyed most of them. Ready or Not was also a great film because you think you know what you're going to expect, and then by the end of the film, you're you're pleasantly surprised. And I know uh, that you, you haven't seen Ready or Not yet. Correct, and I think once you do get to see it, you will you will enjoy it. I wanted to see it when it came out, and I don't remember what happened scheduling wise. I wasn't able to get to it or, or whatever. My wife and I actually went and saw it in the theater when it came out because we were both interested. Oh, oh, it's hide and seek, only deadly. 
Hmm. Again, one cut of the dead. Damn, I can't I can't give that movie enough praise for what it accomplished. Well, there it is, folks. Those are the categories and the nominations for the second annual Two Guys Talking Horror Spooky Awards. We want to know who would you pick for each of these categories. Now, again, like we said at the beginning of this episode, all of the nominees are plastered all over our social media sites, so visit Two Guys Talking Horror on Facebook, Instagram, and or Twitter. You'll be able to find our video on the nominations on those sites, as well as visiting Archlight Entertainment. Uh, we'll make sure that there is a link to the video in the show notes for this episode. So don't worry. If you want a little entertainment from the two of us, definitely check that video out. And remember, we are going to be releasing the winner's video very soon, so get your votes in. But until next time, I'm Nicholas J. Hearn. I'm Jason Contini. Reminding you that don't be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast. It's only a podcast. It's, it's only, only a podcast. podcast.